What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code EXPERT at checkout. A better web starts with your website. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to Hey everybody, and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I am Chris Stemp, John Rojas is part of this podcast as well, and we're excited. This marks the first time, I think it's going to be the first time, depending on when it airs, that we are releasing an episode with a guest that we have previously interviewed. And the reason we're having her on again is because the feedback the first time was fantastic. People loved hearing from our guests this week. Additionally, it's useful in any profession, any job, any part of life. And I just like her. She's an awesome person. So this week we are interviewing for the second time, Christine Clapp. Christine Clapp is a presentation and communications expert and the founder of Spoken With Authority. Another reason we're having her on the show is because she just came out with her new book, Presenting at Work, A Guide to Public Speaking in Professional Contexts. Man, I just looked. The last time we interviewed her was episode 96. I would recommend checking that out because we talk about how she got into this and a little bit more on her background. But that was June 23rd, 2013. Over a year ago, what happened? I, I remember talking to her. This is crazy. But this week, we're going to talk about some really useful things. So common speaking mistakes. We're going to talk about persuasion strategies, ways to get your message across better and persuade people 
to come into your line of thinking, you know, to, to nudge them in the right direction. And also how to speak confidently off the cuff. Again, these are just three of the things she touches on in her new book, Presenting at Work. Head on over to SpokenWithAuthority.com if you want to check out more about Christine, what she does, sign up for her newsletter. And while you're at it, head on over to SmartPeoplePodcast.com. Check it out. Let us know what you think. We're going to be doing a site redesign sometime in the near future. We're actually working with a uh, UI, UX team right now, possibly coming out with a mobile app, a bunch of different things going on. And you're only going to find out if you sign up for the newsletter. So do that bottom right-hand corner, or there's a number of places you can sign up for the newsletter and stay in touch. Please leave us a rating on iTunes if you care. We really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Here it is, Christine Clapp. All right, Christine, well, thank you for being on the show again for a second time. And I will say, I think... I'd have to double check, but I think you're the first repeat guest. So you are super smart. Thank you for having <laughs> me. And it's a very huge honor to be a repeat guest. <laughs> well, and it's big news. You, your newest book, when did it come out, actually? September of this year. So September. 2014. It's hot off the press. So it just came out. It's fantastic. Thank you for sending me an advanced copy. It, the name of the book is Presenting at Work, A Guide to Public Speaking in Professional Contexts. And you know, one of my favorite things about it uh, was you provide some really awesome exercises and activities in there. And they're not the kind that some people try to squeeze in books just to fill up space. Like they're really useful tools. Was that always something you said, I have to provide these tools so people can practice and not just read? Absolutely. One of the most important things of becoming a better public speaker is doing it. You can't read your way into being a fantastic speaker. You can't listen to lectures or webinars to become a great public speaker. Those things certainly can provide some excellent tools and strategies, but then you have to put them into practice. So that was the goal with the exercises and activities the other reason why we included them is because we wanted this to be a resource that could be used for professionals who have it on their shelf and say, hey, I'm doing a panel presentation. What can I do to get ready for it for someone working on their own? But it also is a book that could be used as a supplement to a class, so something that's in a graduate program or an upper division course. So we provide group exercises that can be done in a class setting as well. Yeah, and they're fantastic. And for anyone who wants to know more about how Christine got to where she is and why she's an expert on speaking, uh, we'll link to the previous episode in which we go through that. But I really want to focus on some action items, things that people can learn uh, right now in this episode. And I think the first thing is, we might have touched on this last episode, but it's important. Why do you believe the art of speaking is so important today specifically? A great idea is only as powerful as the way that it's articulated. If you have a fantastic idea, whether you are in science or whether you are in business or whether you are in government or whether you are in any industry, it will not get traction. It will not get off the ground unless you have some way of articulating it clearly to other people. And if you look at leaders in business and government and entertainment and any industry, you keep seeing some of the same habits. And I'm not saying that these people like Steve Jobs or like a politician or 
Oprah Winfrey. I'm not saying that they got to where they are simply because of their speaking skills, but I do think that having excellent speaking skills helps and is part of that ingredient of the recipe to success in any profession. So I think that at the end of the day, if you want to become a thought leader, if you want to be the top of your field one day, you need to start developing presentation skills now. I couldn't agree more. And actually yesterday I was in a meeting with the CEO of our company and I had this brilliant idea and I'm trying to explain it to him. And after, you know, 30 seconds, because CEOs have short attention spans, he was like, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Just cut me off. And I'm going, no, no, no that's, that's what I meant though. And, and it was because the words were not coming out of my mouth correctly. I didn't formulate the thought prior to as oftentimes I don't. And so I just, I truly believe in this idea of, you know, preparing for it and the effort you put in up front actually will end up rewarding you in the end. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make in terms of presenting, and when I say presenting, I mean that very broadly, whether you're in a job interview, whether you're in a meeting with your boss like you were, or whether you're leading a meeting or giving a speech that's attended by 50 or 500 people, people do not practice enough. And that was a great example of if you knew that you were going to present the idea in the meeting, spend some time rehearsing ahead of time how you will articulate yourself so that you can be clear, concise, and compelling. And no matter what situation you're in, having enough practice is really the key to being confident and being compelling. And have you found, I mean, I always think about this, but is it the truth that the best speakers, even like Bill Clinton, right? He just looks so good, so natural. Do they spend an absorbent amount of time practicing? Because often I think, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. I know the industry I'm in. I should be able to wing it. And I do that all the time. I never plan anything. And sometimes it works. The times it doesn't, I get mad at myself because I, instead of thinking I should have practiced, I think, man, you know, I didn't know that. I was dumb in that area. All those thoughts. I think that some of the most effortless looking speakers are the ones who have rehearsed and practiced the most. Sometimes people say, oh, when I rehearse a speech a lot, it gets more stiff and less authentic. But that's when you're just getting to the hump. You have to keep going after that point, And then you get over the hump and the material flows more fluently, more smoothly. You get more conversational. You get more dynamic in your speaking style. So if you have that thought of, oh, when I rehearse, I get more stiff and the delivery gets worse, keep going, push through. And I, I would love to know if Bill Clinton practices <laughs> a lot. I feel like for most speakers, 99.99% that most speakers, it's not about talent, that it's about hard work and practice. I have to th wonder if Bill Clinton might be part of that one one hundredth of a percent of people who actually does have a proclivity for being a great speaker because he really does make it seem so effortless and easy. But I think for the absolute vast majority of people that it really does take tons and tons of practice and effort to get to that level of effortlessness. Yeah. He's just that talented, maybe. Well, when we get him on Smart People Podcast someday, exactly. you I'll can ask, ask him. <laughs> yeah, I would be curious to know. And I would not be really surprised to hear that he did do a lot more rehearsing than we give him credit for. Because right. generally, great speakers are the ones who are the most 
rehearsed and the most experienced. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump into some of the things I found really interesting in the book and things that I took to heart and I know our listeners would so that they can incorporate this into their presentations. And I'm really glad you mentioned how presentations can be a myriad of things because too often we think, well, I don't present in my job, but that's just simply not the case these days, right? Exactly. That is, again, a huge mistake people make. They go into job interviews and think of it as a conversation. Hey, I'm just going to go in and have a conversation. No, it's not just a conversation. It is a series of questions where you have to be ready to answer them. And if you don't practice them, the strategy that you go into it, the delivery of the responses won't be there. And you have to think strategically about what is my message? What do I want to convey? And if I'm asked these certain questions, how will I convey my message in my concise and interesting response to them? And again, I do think that thinking of meetings as a presentation, thinking of one-on-one conversations, whether you're doing a job interview or performance appraisal or the kinds of situations where we do think of them more as presentations like speeches or keynote addresses or TED Talks, absolutely, we need to get into the habit of presenting. And when you are a young professional, even though you are not going to be giving many keynote speeches at that point in your career, you probably will be doing one-on-one meetings with clients. You will be doing briefings with your colleagues, and you might be even pitching ideas to your supervisor or boss. Those are presentations, and they should be treated like presentations. If you aren't taking those opportunities in order to develop your speaking skills, you're not going to be ready for the keynote speech when you're at the top of your career. You're not going to be ready for the TED Talk, and your career will not progress as fast or as high as you might want it to. And I think that is a good lead-in as I want to ask you about some of the common speaking mistakes, and I would imagine planning is one of them. What are some other ones that we haven't discussed? So in addition to making sure that you approach situations where you are speaking as a speech or a presentation, even if it's when you're sitting down or in a small group setting, also make sure that you're practicing enough that you do the time to put the content together and get to know it really well. Once you've done those things, here are some common mistakes that people make with regard to the delivery of their material. So we've talked about in the last podcast, the five S's, and I'll talk about the mistakes in terms of these five S's. So the first S of speaking confidently is with your stance or your body. And one of the mistakes that people make is that they fidget or they clasp their hands and make their body smaller. You want to stop fidgeting. You want to open up your posture so that you look confident. People who are making themselves small by clasping their hands or hunching their shoulders, they look less confident. So you want to, again, open up as much as possible. The second S is your sound, the way that your voice projects. The two mistakes that people make in that regard are talking too fast. When we're nervous, we start to very much speed up the rate of speaking. And people speak in too high of a tone, especially women. They get into a high, soft pitch, and you want to have a nice, (laughs) low, grounded voice. The third S is smile. And it's somewhat obvious, but so many people don't do it. They don't smile when they're speaking, whether that's a job interview or a keynote address. And it's, again, because they're nervous. But in order to look confident and friendly and approachable, you need to have a smile on your face. 
you won't look cheesy or silly. You'll look confident. You'll look like you're enthusiastic and you want to be there. The fourth S is silence or pausing when you're speaking. This has to do with speaking too fast, but the other big problem with silence is that people don't use silence or pauses between sentences or where there should be a comma, and they often fill those with junk words. And I consider junk words to be um, ah, uh, like, you know, so any word or phrase that doesn't convey meaning, but only provides you some time to think of what you're going to say next or to fill in time. And then the last S is sight or making good eye contact. Again, when we're nervous, we have a tendency to have our eyes flit around the room and to not hold our gaze with the person we're speaking to. And this could be, again, in a one-on-one situation or a small group situation or even a large audience of 50 or 500 people. You want to make sure that you're maintaining eye contact with one individual for three full seconds, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, before you move on and look at someone else, or if you're in a one-on-one situation, before you break eye contact to glance up or to take a look at your notes. Again, having that nice sustained eye contact makes it feel like you're in a one-on-one conversation and that you can build rapport with people by looking at them. So that's another area that people make a mistake is they'll scan the audience or sometimes they say, oh, I'll just look at the back of the room because I'm nervous and if I don't look at people, I won't feel as nervous. But it doesn't come across as conversational and as interesting as a speech where you do make or a presentation where you do make eye contact. Yeah, I just thought about a couple of different times I've seen presenters, and I think some of the most powerful moments are the ones when they incorporate a number of those. So I, I can vividly picture somebody that I just saw speak. They paused. They looked directly at someone in the audience. It wasn't even me and smiled, right, all after a point. So they made a point and they did those things and they let it sit there. And I think everyone just felt a human connection. And then they moved on. You know what I mean? And it was just such a it was such a great moment in that presentation incorporating a number of those. Absolutely. And that's a great point is that when you have a key idea, whether it's in a one-on-one conversation or a large group, what people do and what we have become accustomed to listening for is people have an important point and they say it when they're not gesturing at all. They're not moving their feet. They're not moving their hands. They make eye contact. They speak slowly and they pause. And sometimes they'll repeat that key idea. That's what speakers do on the platform. That's what professors do in class when they have something that's going to be on an exam. It's something that we are attuned to listening for, but many times as speakers, we don't emulate that behavior, and it's something that we can very easily emulate so that our listeners have a sense of, oh, this is an important point. Listen now. Yeah. You know, as we're talking about this, I don't think I've thought about it before, especially given that I podcast all the time and it's very conversational, but the basis of a speech or a presentation are often a little different than our standard communication. So how we would talk to our family or friends. And and I think that's where we get into trouble. You know, we don't pause. I don't pause. I struggle with junk words. I don't plan beforehand. But it's because I lump work or presentations into the same category as a friendly conversation. I think the key is to recognize that there is a difference between having a conversation 
with a friend and a job interview or a presentation to a large group of people. However, the important part is being able to take your personality and your authenticity from the conversation with your friend Mm -hmm. and infuse it into the job interview and into the keynote address when you are speaking a little bit more loudly, a little bit more slowly, a little bit more dramatically than you would to your friend. And as your audience increases, you can have more dramatic pauses or larger gestures and you can take it to that next level. Again, it goes up and up and up as you get to larger and larger audiences. However, the whole time, it has to be authentic. You can't do gestures that aren't something that would be consistent with who you are with that one-on-one conversation with your friend. So part of the process of becoming a great speaker is to, and this is in the book, is talking about making sure that you get rid of habits that distract your listeners and then you add in elements of your stance, of your sound, of your smile, of your silence, and your sight that are authentic to you and that resonate with you and you have to make it your own. There's not one answer that works for every single speaker. It has to be authentic. It is different than what you are with a one-on-one conversation with your friend. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit more dramatic, but it has to be you. And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by one of our favorite sponsors, Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Guys, honestly, everybody should have a website, and there's no excuse not to have one because Squarespace is so easy. Both Chris and I have used Squarespace to build websites for some of our friends. It's really simple. It's beautiful. I mean, the designs that are out there are unbelievable. Everything is drag and drop. They have 24-7 support through live chat and email. So anytime we run into a problem, which is very rarely, we have the ability to call their 24-7 support. It's pretty amazing. Plans start at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Not only do you want a beautiful website, but you want it to look beautiful on all of the devices out there, tablets, phones, computers, you name it. You don't have to worry about that because with Squarespace, you get responsive design and it fits any screen that you view the site on. Start building your website today for a free trial and 10% off. Visit squarespace.com and enter offer code expert. A better web starts with your website. I'm really glad you said that because oftentimes you know, I think of like, I'm not a theater guy, you know, sometimes people who are in theater do it easier. It comes more natural to them. But sometimes when I hear things like, okay, make sure you pause or make sure you do this or do that things that I have to think about that don't come naturally, like immediately naturally, I go, man, I don't know. I don't want to be fake up there. I think what I really want to come through is me. But what you're saying is just be more of you. Like if you would make maybe a small inflection or a small gesture, you just have to make it a little larger. And that's just the nature of the platform. Exactly. I was just working with a client and she, for this particular occasion, was using a scripted speech, which made sense for the exactness of message in that particular occasion. And her delivery the first time through when we practiced it was pretty monotone, yet 
in a conversational setting, she was not monotone at all. And I said, okay, Kathleen, let's sit down and think about how we can add more life into this script. How would you say this sentence if you were just saying it to me? And so she said, oh, this is a beautiful day. I said, okay, great. Now when you go up there, I want you to say that, but just a little bit more dramatically. Mm -hmm. This is a beautiful day. Right. So it's the same as she would in a one on one situation, just a little bit more her. Mm -hmm. And by going through in her script and saying, okay, in this sentence, what do I think is most important? Where would I normally have inflection and how can I do that a little bit bigger up when I'm at the lectern? That was exactly what she needed to do to feel more authentic, but also be a really great presence as a public speaker. Absolutely. Well, there's a couple other things I really want to get to. One is persuasion strategies, given that. So much of us, part of our daily routine, whether it be at home or at work, we need to persuade and and not con or trick, but just help someone see our side and our angle. How can we use speech and some techniques to help us in that pursuit? Absolutely. I wanted to share two specific techniques that I think are useful in terms of persuading people, whether, again, it's one-on-one conversation or a large group. The first thing that I wanted to introduce is the notion of the conversion myth. And many people think that when we are persuading others, that we have to have a full sale change in their opinion or their attitudes or their behaviors. And that's a huge mistake. What you need to do is you need to make sure that you understand your audience very, very well and what their current attitudes are. Then think strategically about what reasonably can I persuade this audience to do in the amount of time that I have? If you have a five-minute window to speak, you're not going to change someone's long-held beliefs, but you might be able to open their eyes to a new fact or a modern technology that might sway them a small bit in your direction. But you have to realize that not every situation when you're persuading someone will there be a wholesale conversion from their position to your position and to think strategically about what you can do. And in sales, for example, if you are selling a widget and you're going in to talk to the procurement manager at a company that already buys a different widget, in that conversation, you might not sign a contract for them to buy your widget and to abandon their other widget manufacturer And that's okay because if you've had a widget manufacturer for 10 years, it's going to take a long time for for you to decide that a different product is better and to end that relationship. So when you go into that conversation, it makes sense to have your goal of persuasion to just have the person understand that your product is on the market and to have a sense of what's different about it, to know that you are a helpful and reputable and responsive sales rep for the company. And then in that conversation, that's a perfect starting point for the persuasion process. So persuasion is not a fast process. It takes time and you have to be really strategic about what your goals are for a given situation and be very reasonable and practical and honest with yourself about what's possible. So that's one area of persuasion that people can work on. The second area that I wanted to introduce for your listeners was the notion of Monroe's motivated sequence. And Monroe was an advertising genius back in the 1950s. And Monroe's motivated sequence was developed 
as a means of getting consumers to buy products. And the sequence has five steps. And the steps are this. There's the attention step where you get the attention of the audience member. There's a need step where you identify a need that the audience member has. Then you provide satisfaction, which is the point in the persuasion process where you provide a solution for the problem. So that's obviously most often a product or service. And then the fourth step is visualization, where you help the person or audience member visualize what the world will look like when they buy your product or service. And then the final step is action, where you tell them how they can procure the product or service. So again, the steps are attention, need, satisfaction, visualization, and action. And if you were to think through a commercial, and even though this is from the 1950s, you can still see some commercials that follow these five steps. If you think of a deodorant commercial, you might see the first scene of the deodorant commercial where there's a man on a busy bus and he's clasping onto the handrail because it's so crowded and he has body odor and pit stains and you can see the disgusting pit stains under his uh, shirt and his armpit and you can see that people around him are cowering away because he doesn't smell good. That gets your attention and shows that there's a need that his deodorant is failing him. And then the next scene of the commercial is the same guy in his bathroom the next morning. He has just stepped out of the shower. He has a white towel around his waist and he reaches into his medicine cabinet and he picks a new deodorant and that's a satisfaction step. He puts it on. The next scene of the commercial is the same guy, but it's a new day. He's on the bus again, but this time it's as busy as ever, but his shirt is dry and he doesn't smell bad. And we know that because now there are beautiful women who are cozying up to him and smiling at him and nodding and batting their eyelashes. And it gives you a sense of what the world looks like with this product. And that is that not only does he not have body odor and pit stains, but he is more attractive. He will have more dates. He will get married. He will be fulfilled and have a family all because he switched to this new brand of deodorant. So those five steps are really powerful in advertising. But communication scholars have said, why don't we take these five steps and apply them when we are trying to persuade an audience of a persuasive message? And it's something that your listeners can do when they're thinking through trying to persuade someone to do something for them. And this is one of the biggest mistakes people make. It's when they think of the need step, so you get the person's attention and then you describe the need. Remember this. Do not think about your need. Think about the need of the audience. So when you're asking your boss for a promotion, your boss doesn't care that you are really interested in that area of the company. The boss doesn't care that it will help you relocate to a city where you want to live or that you will get more money, which will help you with your finances. The boss doesn't care about your needs. You need to put it in terms of the boss's needs. The boss needs a reliable person in Phoenix. The boss needs someone who knows these technical skills and can make him or her look good when he or she is presenting to higher-ups in the company. The boss needs to have stress taken off his or her plate and a right-hand man or woman over in Phoenix. Think through what the boss needs, not what you need, as you go through the steps of Monroe's motivated sequence. I love those. And, you know, specifically, visualization, I think, is one that I've learned a lot about in, in training to be a coach is you have to get people to see 
and really see, feel, sense where they want to get to, what they envision as success or their goal. And then, you know, then they can see, wow, okay, I want to get there. How do I do that? And so, you know, it's part of persuading them is letting them see where the end game could potentially be. Exactly. And one of the important things when you're helping people visualize is that we're not only solving the problem, but we're doing so much more, right? When you are watching the Just for Men commercial, it's not only that the beard or the hair is no longer white or gray, it's that the guy is now speeding down the road in his convertible with a beautiful woman. It's that whole lifestyle. It's Mm -hmm. not just the fact that the beard isn't gray anymore. It's your life is better, you're more attractive, you have a date and you have a better job and you have a fast car because you have a bigger salary. So think very broadly when you're talking to people about that visualization step. And it also helps to really think about all five senses. What does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? And it's helpful to give people as much of that visualization experience so they really can feel it, hear it, and it becomes very real for them and makes it easier to motivate themselves toward that end. Absolutely. Well, I think we have time for one more. I have so many of these topics that are great because people need to hear them, non-professional speakers just in the working world. I wanted to make sure we covered speaking off the cuff because, you know, oftentimes things aren't planned. Hey, Chris, come into this meeting and then it's something important and it you know it might not be the difference between if i have a job or not but it's how you're seen and you do this enough times you need to be able to speak off the cuff and present ideas what are some tips to to do that in a confident manner and know that you're coming across the way that you want to in terms of impromptu speaking or speaking off the cuff it's something that we're asked to do all the time in workplace situations with our clients with our colleagues at the water cooler. And it's important to develop that skill. Even though you can't necessarily practice what will come up in those situations, and they also include job interviews and question and answer sessions at the end of a briefing or the end of a presentation, you can't always anticipate what questions are going to come. But you can work on preparing yourself on how to answer them. So coming up with a system of how you deal with impromptu questions and that you that will give you confidence to answer them in the moment and will help buy you a little bit of time to think. Rather than thinking about how do I go about answering them, you can think about what do I need to provide in terms of content to answer the question. So here's this strategy or system that I would recommend to your listeners. And that's, first of all, whenever you're asked a question off the cuff, pause. Too often speakers think that they have to respond immediately when they're asked a question and you don't. Take three seconds, take five seconds, have a drink of water if you need to. You do not have to respond immediately and I would argue that your listener would rather have you give a great, pointed, concise response after five seconds than to give immediate, rambling response that is not sensical. So take a second and pause and gather your thoughts. Then I want you to repeat or rephrase the question. And this shows that you are listening. What I heard you say is that you're interested in knowing the status of XYZ project. Or thanks so much for asking about what I'm going to do to address this problem. 
make sure that you repeat or rephrase the question to show you're listening and to make sure that you are indeed responding to the right question. Because if the other person listens to you rephrasing and says, oh, no, that's not exactly what I meant. Here's what I mean. That's a helpful way of clarifying as well. So pause, then repeat or rephrase, and then be very clear with your response. Try to give a very short, pointed answer and then explain it. So say if someone, if you think about it in terms of a conversation, if someone says, oh, what's your favorite place to go to in Washington, D.C., Chris? You can say, oh, thanks so much for asking about my favorite place to go in Washington, D.C. In fact, my favorite destination is the National Arboretum. And then that's your point. My favorite place is the Arboretum. And then give two reasons why. And I like to have that structure because it makes you sound more polished, more professional, and it helps prevent people from cutting you off And you're, if you're in a meeting or especially if you're in a teleconference. So say, oh, the two reasons why I love that National Arboretum is because it's a beautiful green oasis in the middle of the city and because it is the home of the Capitol Columns that used to be on one of the fronts of the Capitol. They were moved there and now are a beautiful place to have lunch or a picnic. So this is a way that you can structure your ideas and come across as being very pointed and smart, if you will. The last thing about giving a response to an impromptu question is just be short. Most impromptu responses should be one to two minutes in length, and this is true for a job interview, a media interview. If someone asks you a question in a meeting, try to keep it one to two minutes. It's not something that is... There's always reasons to break a rule, and by all means, do it when necessary, but try to keep it short so you don't ramble on and on. So pause, repeat or rephrase the question, have a point, structure your response, ideally with two ideas. It'll help you keep on track and will make you sound very pointed and clear, and then just keep it short. And I gave an example of how you could respond to a conversational question about what you like to do in Washington, D.C. This is something that people can do as a means of practicing. You can use the structure to practice when you're speaking with friends and family. And that way, when you are in a more high pressure situation at work, it comes that much more easily to you. That's perfect. Well, Christine, I really appreciate it. All this information is so fantastic. It's so useful. And you cover what we just talked about times 10 in your new book, Presenting at Work, A Guide to Public Speaking in Professional Context. For those that want to learn more about you or do you have a newsletter they can sign up for? Do you write anywhere else? We will obviously link to the book um, on this post as well as I'm sure you can just use it on Amazon or something like that. Yes. So the book is on Amazon and I also have a newsletter that comes out every month. My website, SpokenWithAuthority.com, has a place right on the homepage where you can sign up if you'd like more tips and information on becoming a great speaker. Awesome. Well, Christine, as always, thank you for being on the show. It was great. It was great to talk to you and great to catch up. It's been too long. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been great to be back. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Christine Clapp. It's funny, Chris and I always joke about how easy it is to edit her episodes because she uses absolutely zero filler words. There are no ums, there are no so's kind does any of that kind of stuff in there and it makes my job easy which is amazing but it also makes me aspire to be more like her especially on the podcast chris and i work hard to use less filler words ourselves but it takes a real pro like christine to kind of point out 
what it actually is to be able to do that. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and review there. It really does help us out. All the feedback that you guys provide, whether it's positive or negative, helps us put the show in the right direction. And we truly do appreciate that when you guys take the time and leave that feedback there. As always, head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com to see all things Smart People Pod. And if you want to reach out to Chris or I, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. Look forward to hearing from each and every one of you, and we'll see you guys next week.